Uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, this morning I'll be doing a reading uh, from Luke 16, 19 to 26. The Rich Man and Lazarus. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores, and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away, with Lazarus by his side. So he called him Father Abraham. Have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger into water and cool my tongue, because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been set in place, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. What I'm doing today is going to be a flyover. If I was to actually try and delve into the fullness of what is heaven, it would take far longer than what we have time for today. So there's so many places as I go through the message today that I'd love to double click. And there are so many rabbit trails that I'm going to have to stop myself going down because I practiced this morning where I was going to go with this. And it, there were so many places I could go. So just be aware, there might be places that we go through. You'd like, oh, what does that mean? Oh, I'd love to know more there. I will do a series on this in the future because this could easily cover five or six sessions. So we're just going to go fly over. So bear with me uh, as we press in through this. I'd love to start with you thinking about this question. So when you think about heaven... What do you think about? Uh, so if you actually ask, you know, what is heaven or what does heaven look like or, or, you know, where is heaven or how does heaven work? And don't just give the cheat notes and say, oh, what the guy said before. Uh, think for yourself, even before today, if you were asked this question, what do you think of when you think of heaven? What would you say? Or what would you have said? Uh, maybe you've got the picture of the, you know, the pearly gates and the fluffy clouds and the, the God coming out, sort of the Monty Python-esque sort of view of what heaven might be. Maybe you just have an idea of a place of perfection or of, or of a never-ending source of something. Like when I was younger, I used to love Milo. Like absolutely, I was that person who had 20 teaspoons of Milo and maybe a teaspoon of milk and you'd sort of almost make it wet and you'd eat it. So I always thought of heaven as being a never-ending tub of Milo. And that was my picture of heaven. Oh man, I could not wait to get to that world. And if that's not where heaven is, then I don't want to go there. No. But what do you think of? What is heaven when you think about it? Uh, a pious old Baptist grandmother was once asked if she was looking forward to going to heaven. Now, this is a really hard thing. Don't, don't go and uh, you know, talking to people who might be on the older age and start saying, hey, are you looking forward to going to heaven? Because it kind of implies something. But, so she was asked, are you looking forward to going to heaven? And so everyone kind of expects them to say, yeah, absolutely. Like, I can't wait to get there. And, and this 93-year-old Baptist pious grandmother actually said this. Well, no, I, I think it'll be rather boring just sitting around on clouds and singing hymns all day. So somewhere along the line, she'd got this idea that that's what heaven was. 
And did you know that she's actually not alone, that lots of surveys have actually come back and suggested that people think they're going to be bored in heaven. Actually, one of the greatest fears people have because of the way that we've sort of talked about heaven as, as almost this ethereal place that's so different to our experience of life, that there's actually this fear of, well, I don't really want to just go there and just sort of sit around and sing songs and uh, do those things. Like, I, I actually don't mind some of the things I have in life. I'd love life without some of the experience that I have. But many surveys have shown that there are many people their fear of heaven is they're going to be bored. We're continuing in our series today looking at a Christian worldview. And we're coming towards a close. The last message on this will be in two weeks' time. So I'm not preaching for the next two weeks. So we've got one more of this to go uh, in a couple of weeks' time. But today we're rounding out the four main topics we've been looking at. We started with origins and what's the deal with origins? moved into meaning and talked about the meaning of life and explored the, the dance between work and worship and how work and worship are at the heart of the created order. We spent a bit of time looking at morality and looked at the law and how the law was never meant to bring salvation. It was meant to point you towards the need for a saviour. And so then last week or two weeks ago, we looked at the idea, so what do we do? We live in relationship with Jesus. Uh, last week, we had the heavy one where we looked at hell. So if you missed last week, you, you know, maybe you can go, oh, whew, I, I missed that one. Or maybe you might go back and listen to it if you'd like to get an idea of what we talked through there. And so today we're going to round it out by looking at heaven. But what I want to do as we talk about this is I want to look at what is heaven really. Because one of the things that I'm absolutely convinced of is that most people's view of heaven is either wrong or maybe wrong is actually too strong of a word. It's shallow. It's part of the picture. Uh, heaven has been overpopularized, And so many people's views of what heaven is is based on a Hollywood movie from people who probably have actually never actually read the Bible and don't really know what heaven is talking about. And I would actually suggest that heaven is probably one of the most misunderstood topics in all of Christianity. There's quite a few that there's a lot of different views on, but I, I think this is actually one of the ones that's possibly one of the most under, misunderstood topics across. The, and, and that's really crazy given that, generally speaking, and I'm giving away some of my talk here today, you're probably going to spend more of your existence in what is heaven than actually what we will spend on earth. That, that actually, you know, eternity is longer than a lifetime. That, that, that eternity is a really long time. So it's probably a good idea to have a bit of an idea of what heaven really is. So I want to start with a question. Is heaven a future reality to be hoped for or a present reality to experience now? Is, is heaven... A future reality to be hoped for or a present reality to be experienced now? And in the best way of answering these kind of either or questions, the answer to that is going to be yes. Yes, it is. It's both of those things. So what does that look like? Uh, jump with me. We're going to start off in John chapter 14 and we're going to dig into a little bit of the kingdom of heaven to come. What is this kingdom to come? What is this future heaven that the Bible talks about? 
We're going to start off in John chapter 14, verses 1 to 3. And this is one of the most precious moments of Jesus' teaching. This is Jesus with his disciples, and Jesus has the cheat notes. He knows where the story's going. He knows that there's not long left until he is actually going to leave the disciples. And they have no idea. Like, if you read the story of the disciples, they are still so lost. They have no idea about what's actually going on. And so we get Jesus sitting down and sharing a little bit of his heart with them. John chapter 14, verses 1 to 3 says this. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God? Believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. And I can almost just imagine sitting at the feet of Jesus or or sitting around with him and, and just hearing that sense of warmth and love. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Be aware, things, are, you know, things might get a bit crazy soon. Things might change, but do not let your hearts be troubled. I wonder if this might be your verse today. Maybe you've got some things going on in your life at the moment. And there's all kinds of things crashing around you, and you need to hear the words. And this is, this is the moment. Just pause. You believe in God, believe also in me. He is preparing a place you you've given your life to jesus he is preparing a place for you so it seems fairly clear through the new testament that there is a place of some kind a future place that is being prepared for believers to spend eternity with god so this is not jesus talking to everyone this is not jesus in front of a crowd This is not Jesus saying to everyone who's ever existed, I'm creating a place for you. This was Jesus with those who had given their lives to following him. And he says to them, I am going to prepare a place and I'm going to come back and you will be with me in that place, whatever that might be. Another place where we get a little bit of an idea of what's going on uh, is in Revelation 21. Uh, And verses 1 to 5. So Revelation 21, verses 1 to 5. And this is the one that I'm going to have to not take all the details because I could do so many. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. The yellow ones I've highlighted so I know which ones I'm allowed to dig into. So just be very clear right there. When John, who saw this, so this is John who was one of Jesus' disciples, when he saw this vision that was recorded in Revelation, he says very clearly here that there's a new heaven and a new earth. Because the original heaven and the original earth had passed away. There's so many ways that can be interpreted, but there's one thing that is clear. There is something new about the future heaven and earth. There is something different about the way that it plays together than the current heaven and the current earth. 
And there was no longer any sea. I'm not double-clicking on that one. Come and talk to me afterwards. If you love the ocean, love the sea, that there's, there's some of you who read that and go, no! Okay, come and see me. I've got some good news. Uh, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem. And get this one. Coming down out of heaven from God. Prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. So again, just so you have an idea, in the Bible, uh, the church is always given a feminine kind of view and God has always given a masculine kind of view. That's not to say that man is like God and woman is like that because that's not, we're not going there. It's just the language that's used and that's how this is presented. So the church is always presented as the bride of Christ. But what we see here is that at some time, this city that has been prepared is actually going to come down. It's going to come out of heaven and come down to be where we are. And it's this city that is being prepared for us to spend all of eternity in. So that the original one was the garden, and now we have this city that God is preparing a city. Now, we've got our modern views of what a city is, then you've got the biblical view of a city. The thing that made a city in biblical times was a fence. There was a, there was a wall around the city. It was a safe place. And so in this passage, it talks about there being a wall, but the gates are always open. Because it's not safe. It's not unsafe to leave the city. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. And then in Revelation 22, verse 1 to 2, we get a little bit more. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the lambs down the middle of the great streets of the city. And on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. There's a beautiful picture of the tree of life comes back, that tree that was lost from the Garden of Eden and the river of life that existed in the Garden of Eden, they returned to bring their sources of life. And 12 fruit trees, 12 is a number of wholeness, of fullness, uh, just like 10. It's a very important number. It's not to say there's only 12. It's this sense of abundance. That God's people will spend eternity in a purpose-built city, in a place that is designed to be for our living in you know, the way it was meant to be originally. It's a kind of restored Eden. So the future hope, the hope that we look towards in the future, is a city, a place which is built for those people who know and love the Lord Jesus to bring life and vitality as it was made to be from the very beginning. But there's a bit of another question, and this is the one where we get a bit confused. And that's the, so what happens now. So when we die now, do we go to this place or is that a different place? And what's heaven and earth look like now? Because in the story of John, he said that there was a, there's a current heaven and a current earth and this is a new heaven and a new earth. And how does that all play out? So I'm going to dig into those very quickly. 
I'm going to talk a little bit about, and this is my best interpretation. By that I say there are lots of views around this. Uh, there's a few different ways of looking at it, and I'll try and share a, a few of the others as we go through. Uh, but again, not wanting to keep you here all day, I'm mostly going to present what seems to be the best way of experiencing and expressing what the Bible would teach us. So where do the saved go? Uh, whenever you go to a funeral, it's always the talk of, uh, uh, it's great to know that they're with mum up in heaven. It's great to know they're with dad up in heaven. What is that? Is that true? Is that what it looks like? What's going on in that place? Well, a couple of the ideas that we get, and the main one is to actually look at the theme throughout the Bible, and this exists in the Old Testament as well, the theme of the book of life, that there seems to be this book, and in this book are a bunch of names. And those names are the names of those who have come to know Jesus as their Lord and Saviour. It seems to be the names of those have come to accept Jesus as their Lord. This is not the best of the best. This is not the people that have done all the most amazing things. These are simply the people who have gone, Jesus, I give my life to you. And their name is entered into the Lamb's Book of Life. And so what is best I can see from reading through it, when you die and your name is in the Lamb's Book of Life, your spirit, not your body, your spirit, goes to the existing heaven to be with Jesus. That when you die, it is true, you do go to heaven. But this is not the eternal city. This is not the eternal heaven that we will experience later on. It's the current heaven. It's the place where God dwells. Uh, so one of the places we get this is from Luke chapter 23. When Jesus is on the cross and he's got the thief that's beside him, who gives his life to Jesus, and Jesus says to him, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Uh, the most common alternative view to this idea is actually that when you die, you go into a thing was called soul sleep. That actually from the time you die until Jesus returns, you actually are just asleep. And so when Jesus returns, it's, it's almost like it's instantaneous. Because you wake up, but you've actually been asleep for all that time. It is one of the views, it's not the most common view, but it's the most held view other than you going somewhere straight away. And so they would say in answer to this question, Jesus says today, because for that person it's going to be like today. It's going to feel like it's today because they die and then they wake up, but actually there could have been thousands of years that they were sleeping. That's one of the views. I don't think it's the, what the Bible really suggests, but I want to give again an idea of different views because it might hold. But another one is this, is that, that Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, 23 to 24, I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. This is Paul uh, writing to the people in, in Philippi and actually suggesting that this is actually the way that all Christians should view life. That we should actually desire to be away from this life, to be with Jesus, because that is where our heart is. That is where we would desire to be. But we recognize that our mission is not finished. God has work for us to do in this life. And so we live and we give this life. This life is not our own. We've given it over to Jesus. 
so that others might come to know the saving grace of heaven. And so, so Paul's very clear and says, I would actually rather die and go and be with Jesus because I will be with him in paradise. But no, I know that he has a purpose for me here. And so I will live this life on purpose. And I will bring every ounce of this life out that I can to bring people with me. But there's obviously an alternative question. Uh, and if you thought you missed the whole hell sermon, then there's just a little snippet. So we're just going to make a little segue. Because if those whose names are written in the book of life go to heaven to be with Jesus in the spirit for now, then what about those who don't? What about those whose name is not in the book of life? What about those who have not accepted Jesus as their Lord and Saviour? And so again, as best as I can interpret from reading through the different passages that talk to this, uh, those whose name is not in the Lamb's book of life, uh, they go to, there's, there's kind of two different names given for it in the Bible. In the Old Testament, it's known as Sheol. And in the New Testament, it's given the Greek word Hades. It effectively is the same place. Now, Hades and Sheol are not the same as hell. And we'll come to that uh, as we go through. So these are a temporary location that exists now. And that when you die and if you don't know Jesus, you most likely find yourself in one of these, or in, in this place. And a couple of the passages that would suggest this, uh, but this, this one actually opens up a couple of other options. So one is Revelation 20, verse 13. It says this, The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. So this is the end of times, the judgment that's coming on all people. And so all people are raised, and so what happens is there's it lists people. There are some that have died in the sea. There are some that are in Hades. Uh, there are some that are in different places and they were all brought into this place. So it's not a perfect, clear, everyone was in Hades. This suggests that some were just dead, some were in the sea. But it, when you look at it across all of the other passages, it seems to suggest that there is a place that people would go when they die between now and when Jesus returns. Uh, another one is actually the passage that we had read at the start. Uh, so Jesus is telling a story. It's a story, so it's not meant to be an exact experience. And he has a very particular reason for sharing that story. And it's actually really talking to Israel. But in that story, we're, we're shared that there's a rich man and there's Lazarus. And Lazarus goes to be with Abraham, not because he earns it, but actually just because he was saved through grace by Jesus. And so he's at Abraham's side in paradise, and Lazarus, and the rich man, sorry, is down in Hades. And he says he's suffering. And just, just send Lazarus down. He still believes Lazarus is his slave, even though he's down there. He still, just send Lazarus. You know, he can spend a couple of moments down here with me. Let him dip his dip in the water and, and cool me off. But it's another example given that there seems to be a different end place in between now and Jesus' return, depending on whether you know Jesus and accept him and have your name in the Lamb's book of life or not. And again, I want to share this because I shared this last week. I don't like this. <laughs> if I could write the Bible, I wouldn't write this. But I, it's probably a good thing that I don't like the Bible. This is one of those places where we just have to sort of sit and go, Lord, this is like the Garden of Eden. I want to know the difference between good and the knowledge of good and evil, but actually when I do know, I don't get it and I don't understand it. And, and I just have to sit and say, God, because of this, what I see through Jesus, 
I trust in your goodness. I feel uncomfortable with this. I, I probably will never sit comfortably with what I think the Bible actually teaches about it. But I recognize that I see in Jesus the most goodness that I could see. And so I'll sit in that discomfort, trusting that God actually knows best. So I want to be clear here. This is not purgatory. So if you've heard of the Catholic teaching of purgatory, uh, Catholics believe that you do go to a place between now and then the eternal home. But actually you need to go to that place because you need to work off your sins. So purgatory is a place that you go when you die and all those little sins you've done, you kind of work hard to make sure that you get rid of those sins so that you can then go to heaven. Or while you're in purgatory, your, your descendants or the, the pious people in the church, they can pray special prayers or they can give special offerings and that will actually release people from purgatory into heaven. That is a Catholic teaching. Uh, it, is, it is not the teaching of a, you know, we're a Baptist church. It certainly isn't what Baptists would hold to. Uh, I would also suggest there's really nowhere in the Bible that teaches that. And that's okay for Catholics because Catholics don't hold that the Bible is the only place you can get truth. And that's a perspective. Uh, I'm not even, I don't even want to make it sound like I'm demonizing it. I'm not. It's a different perspective. They would say truth comes from multiple places. The Reformation was really, purgatory was a huge part of why the Reformation happened. Because those who were part of the Reformation said, no, scripture, you know, scripture alone. It's scripture alone that is the basis for our understanding of the world and the way of God. And so purgatory doesn't fit in that view because it is not talked about in the New Testament. It's just not but that's another rabbit hole I could go down as well. Let's move on. Uh, final judgment. This is another one. Uh, it's very clear in the New Testament that there is actually both the saved and the unsaved will be resurrected. That means brought back into a physical existence. This is not just your spirit that's gone off to heaven. This is actually being bodily resurrected. So Acts 24 verse 15 says this, And I have the same hope in God as these men themselves have that there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. Uh, in Revelation 20, verse 14, it says, Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. So this is the verse that follows on from the last one we read. And the lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. So how, how, you know, who is saved? It's not about works. It's not about goodness. It's not the best of the best. It's have you accepted the Lord Jesus into your life? Because at the point that happens, your name is written into the book of life. And that's what will actually be what determines an eternal death. Now, again, if you're here last week, we talked about hell. There's different views. Is it eternal conscious torment? Is it annihilation? The lake of fire could be either of those. It could be an eternity of torment or it could be that the lake of fire actually causes you to cease to exist. Uh, so if you want to know more about that, go back and listen to last week's message uh, where I dig into that a little bit more. But I've actually only reached the halfway mark. Now, it's not going to be the halfway mark of the sermon because that's not going to work. But really, if you're actually wanting to understand what the Bible teaches about heaven, you'll notice that I spent a lot of time on that bit because that is what actually most of us think about when we think about heaven. And generally speaking, that is where we're going to spend most of our existence because eternity is longer than a lifetime. 
that as you would have seen in the video, actually the focus of 90% of the New Testament is on the other half of the story of heaven. The focus of 90% of the New Testament is on the other half of what heaven is. And that's the kingdom of heaven now. There is no topic that Jesus spoke about more than heaven. If you actually pay attention to his teaching, if you actually dig in and you really look at what Jesus spoke about, but he didn't speak about the eternal heaven. He spoke about the role that we have to play in the kingdom of heaven now. In Matthew, this is referred to as the kingdom of heaven. In Mark, Luke, and John, it's referred to as the kingdom of God. It's the same thing, just a slightly different way of referencing it. So anytime you see the kingdom of God talked about, uh, that's talking about this place, this bringing of the kingdom into this life in this world. Heaven in this life, this existence, this world. So in Matthew 14, we read this. From that time on, Jesus began to preach. Repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. So as Jesus is going around and as he's speaking to people, and again, that was referred to in the video, Jesus is the, he is the temple. He is the temple. He's heaven present with earth. It's him present with the world. And he's taking heaven around two places and sharing the goodness of what this can be. It's come near. You have no idea just how close you've come to experiencing a taste of heaven. It's what his ministry was about, bringing the kingdom of heaven into the here and now. Little pocket, little, this is my analogy when I was a bit younger, but little teaspoons of Milo. You're running around with a little teaspoon of Milo. Okay, it's not the never-ending supply of Milo that you might look forward to eventually, but you've got little teaspoons of Milo and you can go around and you can offer that Milo to people and they can get just a little taste of the joy that Milo is. I don't have Milo in the house anymore, by the way. I can't just do a little bit of Milo. I have to not have it in the house because it will go. I, I might like it a bit too much. Uh, another place we see this is John 3, verse 1 to 3. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. I don't have time to dig into the fullness of this, but this is where baptism comes in. Now, again, this is not saying if you haven't been physically baptized and Jesus returns, you won't go to heaven. Physical baptism is an outward expression of something that happens on the inside. It's very highly recommended, and it's certainly something that we practice as a church, but it's not the act itself. It's what it symbolizes. But here's the thing. When you are baptized, you actually enter into your eternal life. You commence new life in Jesus. And though you will still die, you actually are from that point going to be eternally in relationship and life with God. It's why baptism is such an important aspect of the Christian faith. Right, then we have in Matthew chapter 6, 
verse 9 to 13. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven. Okay, so God is presently in heaven. He is presently not here on earth, except through the Holy Spirit's dwelling. Again, segue. Uh, But hallowed be your name. And this is what you should pray. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. His kingdom can come in this life. His will can be done in this life. Little pockets of heaven can break into this world and draw people to know the person of Jesus Christ. That's what saves people. When they see a little pocket of heaven, a little taste of the kingdom, a little taste of what could be. And that's where the power is. That's what we are to do. We're to be bringers of God's heavenly will. Now. We don't wait until someday that we get to go to heaven and sit around on clouds and that's not what we're going to do and just enjoy ourselves and eat Milo forever. That's not the point of life. The point of life is to live in such a way now that people get a taste of heaven, a taste of what it means to be close to the king, to be close to Jesus and that to be so overtaken by what that looks like that they can do nothing other than accept Jesus. As their Lord and Saviour. And so what robs the church so often is that we have this idea of heaven is what we sort of wait for until we decide to follow Jesus and we sort of twiddle our thumbs for about 30, 40, 50, 50, 70 years depending on when you come to faith and then we get to go to heaven and then we get to enjoy the fullness of heaven. Whereas actually it's meant to be you give the rest of this life to bring heaven, to bring the will of God, to demonstrate his way to a world in need. Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth and moths and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Uh, You can transfer what you have now, your earthly treasure, the earthly things that you appreciate into an eternal presence. You can't physically take your prized possessions with you, but you can live this life in such a way that you're actually storing it up in your eternal hope. See, though we'll still die, and we will, unless Jesus returns in our lifetime, and people since Jesus' day have thought that was going to happen, so I'm not going to say that I think it's going to happen. The world seems to ebb and flow and goes up and down, so it will happen sometime. I'm actually not worried about when that happens. I will live this life as if he could come today or not in my lifetime, because it doesn't actually change how I should live. I might still die, I will still die. But our eternal life begins when we decide to follow Jesus. You can start to live life, eternal life, in this life. Because you live it for Jesus. You don't wait until he comes again and then you go up and spend your time. You live this life. You give this life as bringers of the kingdom in the here and now. So here's our eternal hope. One day, all things will be made right. We don't lose all the bad things in this life yet. We still have to live in the kingdom that's now and not yet. 
But one day there will be a way that Jesus returns and things will be made right. And those who have decided to follow Jesus will spend eternity in a real place with real bodies, with real meaning and purpose, including work, because work was part of Eden. But it will be redeemed work for all eternity. As it was meant to be in the garden, so it will be in heaven forever. It's not going to be boring. It's not going to be sad or disappointing. It is going to be the best existence you can have. But that's our eternal hope. That's not what we live for today. We're, we need to live as kingdom living. We don't wait till we die to experience aspects of the reality of heaven. We are called to bring the first fruits of the kingdom of heaven in the here and now. And that's why you live. It's the reason you get up in the morning. You've decided to follow Jesus. It's the reason you go to work and you get through whatever that might be. It might be good, it might not be. Again, come and see me. We've got some other things to talk to about that. But it's to be bringers of the kingdom now, not waiting for some future time when we all get to sit around on clouds and sing and hymns, and which is, again, that's not actually that inspiring to most people. It'll be real life doing real things as we were meant to do. But in this life, you can bring the kingdom. And you can help others have just a little taste of all the glory that can be. And that is what heaven will be. Let's pray. Uh, Father, I thank you so much for the kingdom. I pray that you would help us that have decided to follow Jesus. I pray that you would help us to live each day in the light of the new life that you have brought to us. And though in this life we still experience pain and we still experience loss and we still experience hurt, may you remind us each day of what it means to live for you. May we see everything we do through the lens of the kingdom. And then, Lord, we look forward to the day that you return. We look forward to being with you. Lord, it is better by far to be in your presence than it is to be in this life. Help us to, as we mature, to recognize and to grow into a sense of that as being reality. That we wouldn't fear death, that we wouldn't fear the end, that we wouldn't fear things not going as we might like them to. Because we have eternal life with you. May we live this day and every day in light of that. We pray this in Jesus' name.